Uh, if you've never filled out one of these cards, I'd love it if today uh, you took the next 25 minutes and did it. It will not take 25 minutes. If it does, you're being really thorough. And we are so grateful for the information that you're putting on here. Uh, but we'd love to get to know you, love to connect with you. And then as soon as service ends, those doors are going to open. And uh, we've got a gift for you on our left. It's our way of saying you could have spent Sunday anywhere, but you spent it with us. And that means a lot to us. So we're super grateful for that. Uh, another thing that we'll have at the end is uh, we got books up here that we're going to talk about a little bit in the message. It says, why should I give to my church? Uh, which is probably a question that you have asked at some point in your life. And so this is a 50-page book that starts on like page 12. So now we're already down to 38. Like, that's good. Uh, and you color in the pictures, and you're down to like 36. Uh, I read it this week in an afternoon. And I'm the type of guy who reads and falls asleep. So it's not that long. It's really good. We're going to talk about some of the stuff uh, that's in it. But you can grab one of these at the end. Today, we are in week four of our series called Be Exceptional. We're taking the whole Lego theme and spending a month in it. Uh, there's a line from the movie, a line from Lego movie, where one of the characters says, everyone has something that makes them someone. And that's totally true about the church. God's church, where we sit today here, is the hope of the world, the local church church is the hope of the world, always has been, always will be. And the local church is only effective because of that quote, because everybody has something that makes them someone. The local church is only effective because of the unique and diverse gifts of its people. So week one, we talked about apostles. And week two, we talked about prophets. And week three, we talked about evangelists. And all of this comes from a verse. It's in Ephesians 4. The media team is going to put it up on the screen. This is what we've been talking about each week. This is where we're going. Uh, and it is maybe not happening. But it says, these are the gifts that Jesus gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, teachers, the pastors, and the shepherds. Their responsibility is to equip the church, uh, get, uh, to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Like, that's the goal. So we're in week four, which means we've already talked about apostles, prophets, evangelists. And today, we're talking about pastors. And there's probably something in your head that says, wait, wait, wait. The first three weeks have been about how we get involved in all this. And now we're talking about pastors. You're up there. We're here. We're sitting. You're standing. You have a microphone. We have a cushion. That's the way that we're keeping it. And here's the thing. What we've talked about every week is that within all of us, when we become a Christian, there's a moment that changes. Nobody was born a Christian. But when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and takes areas where you and I are already equipped and already skilled in certain things. And the Holy Spirit supercharges those. And so we're dividing all of that into five categories. All of us fit into some of these. Now, all of us have evidence of these in our lives, but there's one spot where it like gets turned up to 11. And it could be as an apostle, the type of person who sees things that aren't, and then builds up systems and builds up structures and builds up ministries that are doing stuff where, where like before there was nothing. And then there's prophets, the people who hear from God. All of us can hear from God. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, God wants to teach you. God wants to speak to you. But prophets, it's different. They just see, they hear differently. Evangelists, all of us are called to do that work. But for some people, it's just flat out different. And what we're talking about today is pastors. And all of us have pastoral gifts inside of us. It's just they get fleshed out more in other people. It's kind of like, go with me here, because you've all seen the clips. It's kind of like singing. 
All right? Everyone here, if there was like $100, if you sing, or zero, if you're not, all of us could sing. We could produce music from our voice. The question is, is should we have a microphone in front of it or not? In our family, there are two very distinct groups on the microphone test, all right? I was at an event yesterday. There was some worship music going on, so I like to sing. I stand under the speaker so that everybody hears the speaker and nobody hears me. Like, that is the goal. I sit in the front because I'm in charge, but also because I want the speaker to drown out everything. And so where I was, I was like in the back. I was far away from the speaker, and I realized... This isn't helping anything. We should turn this down a little bit and let the people who are singing in the microphone, they should be able to sing, and I will like mess with papers and sing a little bit quieter. In our house, that's like I'm on, on, I'm on one side. Micah is there with me on the others. The girls and Anna, totally different. They sing, it's beautiful. The notes work together like it's braided in perfect harmony. And Micah and me, it's kind of like you're banging rocks together. Like that's our voice. But all of us could sing. Others sound better and honestly look better. Um, then there's like a correlation. Pretty, can sing, dude, no, not happening. So all of us, we've all got elements of a pastoral giftedness inside of us. Now, does that mean that you're all going to quit your job and be a pastor? No, because we're sent out into the world to function within our gifts. And for some of you, that means that you're going to do your job. You're going to do your thing. And with inside of you is a heart that cares. Because pastors are the heart of the church. Pastors are the heart of the church. Care is foundational to our job. This is what we do. There's a verse where one of Jesus' followers, uh, after, he, after Jesus had died for our sins, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, this guy wrote a book, and he's writing to pastors, and he says this. Media team will put it on the screen. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. That, like, that's heart issues. He's not saying organize. He's not saying say to them. He's not saying outreach. He's saying care, because this is the pastors. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. The pastor is the heart of the church. And the reason why it exists is because this also exists. We've been talking about Legos all week, that. Right, so Sunday afternoons, just a little picture into my life. When I get home on Sunday, what I want to do is something that's going to make sense. Like linear, you do A, you're going to get B. Because Sunday mornings, it's always a mystery. Seriously, today, with like moving in and doing all that stuff and the way that ch church here at Mountain View Sunnyside has been totally different over the last two years, today was like the easiest Sunday ever. Everything worked out. Like I'm looking at the time where I'm supposed to like be on it to do stuff and get to Sunday morning prayer at 9 a.m. and all that stuff. I have like 45 minutes to walk from the kitchen to the portable. Like that's easy. This is the best day ever. You, most Sundays are not like that. Most Sundays are crazy. So when I get home, I'm going to do something that makes sense. So I got home last Sunday. Uh, and the dishes were there. And that's great. That's something that I can do that's going to make sense. And it's always going to have the same result. They're clean. Everybody's happy. Sink is empty. Dishwasher is full to the glory of God. So I finished them. And then there's that switch, you know, sometimes to the side of your, your sink. And some people call it the, uh, the garbage disposal. Some other countries, you call it the garburator. If you're a redneck, you call it the other refrigerator. Uh, but you flip that switch, and it just like grinds all your food, and it runs it down the tube. But you know how it is when you flip the switch and it makes a lot of noise? It means there's something in there. So I flip the switch and it's like, bing, 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 bing. So I turn it off. And at this moment, I'm excited, right? Because Sunday afternoon, I want a linear thing. I want stuff to make sense. So that means there's something in there. So I still got small hands. And I jammed, turned it off. In case you're worried, 
turned it off, stuck my hand in there because now it's a treasure hunt. I want to find what we're talking about. And I pulled that out. And immediately, like, I took it over to the new cabinet where it's white and I take a picture of it because we're talking about pastors, we're talking about care. And all of us at some point have been that. And all of us have that around us. We have those people. Last week, everybody got a Lego piece and it's shiny and it's new and everything's perfect and it's sanitized and all that stuff. That is none of them. And that is exactly why the pastoral gift exists. Because that is around us. That is inside of us. That motivates us. That is who we were. That is maybe, hopefully not, but probably how we're going to end this week. Like, that's us. And so the pastors, the pastoral gift inside of us cares for those things. Each week, we've tried to tie a character from the Bible, somebody whose life demonstrates this and lives this out and gives us a picture of, OK, this is what this looks like. And so today, we're talking about a person who doesn't have a name. Like, we have no clue who this person is, because they're a character in a story that Jesus made up and he told to prove a point. It was a little story that, over the course of centuries, has proved a ginormous point. And people bring it up. And it's like a label now. It's something that's adopted into our society. We're talking about the good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan starts with an argument. It starts with a point that somebody wants to make, that Jesus makes a point on top of the point that the guy's trying to make. And this is in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says this, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions. Does that mean? That means that he wanted to be okay with doing the littlest possible. He wanted to make sure that Jesus is going to green light the way that this guy was living. And so he asks Jesus, okay, so who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to care about? For those of us with the pastoral gift, like this is, this is us. That's not even a question for us because we bleed for people. When Jesus called me into ministry and said, okay, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, it wasn't go start new things. It wasn't hear from me and tell people. It wasn't gather. It was you're going to tell for the rest of your life, you're going to tell hurting people about me. Like that was the language on the back row of the airplane flight from Nashville to St. Louis. You're going to tell hurting people about me. You're going to tell that group of people about me. So for pastors, this idea of who is my neighbor, that question never stops being answered because everybody is. But what we're going to look at in this story is that even the people who think they have it all together miss it. And Jesus is calling all of us to take a step forward. At the end of the service, what we've done each of the past few weeks is those doors open. We've got some tables in front of the map. And they've got a sign-up sheet. This is you signing up your name and your cell phone. And all you're agreeing to is a text message or a phone call. All you're agreeing to is say, hey, give me a little bit more information about this. Nobody is going to end up locked into a ministry that you didn't expect just because you put your name and your cell phone down. This is an opportunity for all of us to say, OK, what is my next step in this? So that's one of the ways we can respond. We got the book. We got the sign-up sheet. But for all of us, what is my next step in this? So the story starts. 
a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Right there. Like, that's the moment where the story starts to change. There's, it's this rocky, it's this sloped road where there's tons of stuff for bad people to hide behind from Jerusalem to Jericho. And all the good people walk by and they walk around the guy. But the person, the Samaritan, who Jews and Samaritans hated each other, he sees the guy and his immediate response is compassion. His response is compassion because God's work starts in our heart. God's work starts in our heart. It's not efficiency that motivates him. It's not, hey, I wonder who's looking. I'm going to help this guy, and everybody's going to know, and I'm going to end up going viral in the good way. It's compassion. He sees somebody hurting. I think one of the indications that our heart is wrong is when people who are nothing like us really start to irritate us. Because in this story, Jews and Samaritans had histories, had centuries of beef between the two of them. Things had been sideways for a long time. But the Samaritan sees the Jew bleeding on the side of the road. And he goes over to him because his heart has led him to that point. God's work starts in our heart. God's work of putting lives together through us starts in our hearts. And when we see people, when we interact with people who have nothing in common with us, who irritate us, who everything that they stand for is everything that we stand against, and our first reaction is hatred and vitriol, that's not a question of policy. That's a question of heart. Because every person in here, every person on the planet is loved by God. And God works through that to demonstrate his heart to each other, his heart for each other through us. This fall, uh, we're going to start rolling this out next week uh, in something that Pastor Aaron's going to talk about at the very end. This is, uh, we're doing a program called Alpha. Alpha is something for people who have been Christians for decades and people who have no clue what Christianity is. It's a, a basically Bible 101 class for all of us to remind us and to teach us anew, teach us afresh what this Jesus thing is all about. And so what we're going to do is Tuesday nights, we're going to meet here. You already trust me with Sunday mornings. I'm asking for Tuesday nights also. And together as a church, we're taking a step into this. Because we're going to grow this year. We want to grow through outreach on Sunday morning, and we want to grow depth on Tuesday night. And I'm asking all of us to make plans to come back for that. And the reason is, is because there are going to be people around our tables with whom we are going to do life who are nothing like us. If you're here and you're new to this Jesus thing and you're figuring stuff out and somebody invited you because the people are nice here, but all those other people who have been Christians for years, like you don't get them, we're going to get to know each other. We're going to grow together. It's going to be a diversifying thing for our church because people who seriously like love life groups and have never done life groups, I'm asking all of us to come together on Tuesday nights to make this type of thing, make this a place where that type of thing happens. Compassion starts in our hearts, and it gets bled out. It gets encouraged out. It gets flushed out as we give God opportunity to do that. So the story continues. Going over to him, OK, let's stop there. 
right? You're walking down a very sketchy part of town. There's parts all around you for other people to hide and jump on you just the same way they jumped over it on this guy. You see somebody bleeding on the side of the road, and your response probably isn't to go over them, stand over them, and kneel down. Because at this point, you can't see anything except for the person. You can't see the person who's coming at you with a Roman crowbar ready to make you just like them. But the thing is, is God works, God's work starts in our hearts, and then our hearts pull us toward hurting people. God's work starts in our hearts, you know, the compassion, and then God's heart, and then our hearts pull us toward hurting people. Like, that's the point of the story, is that his heart is already filled with compassion that leads him toward somebody who needs him. Jesus told lots of stories. That was how he communicated to people. And one of the themes that he had in his stories was making these ridiculous comparisons of people leaving for sure things because part of their investment, part of their riches had gotten lost. He tells a story about a shepherd who had 100 sheep, 99 of them were fine, and he leaves 99 where they could have been stolen, they could have been hurt, they could have been killed, they could have been eaten. He leaves 99 because the one sheep that's lost is really important. Tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins, but she loses one. And so she cleans everything to find the one. Who cares? You already have 10. You can spend some of them and get more coins and all that stuff. But no, the one who was lost meant all the difference. The one that was lost changed everything. There's a father who has two sons, and one son is great, and the other son goes crazy and ends up spending half of his life in Vegas and all this stuff. And so the father every day is outside waiting for the son to come back. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. Because the lost thing matters to Jesus. You know what it's like? It's like the Lego. Once again, we're back here. That thing matters to Jesus. The brokenness matters to Jesus. The scars, the dirt matters to Jesus. And God's work inside of us pulls us towards hurting people. My prayer is that as you have made this place your Sunday morning place, and maybe this is your first time, or maybe you've been here for years, that this is something that we reflect. This is something that we demonstrate. This is something where we are an embodiment of God's people on this planet because brokenness is welcome here, because the sick are welcome here, because the dirty are welcome here, because this is a place where we embody that, where we reflect that. God puts that desire in our hearts, our heart that pulls us toward the hurting people. And part of the way where we can apply that, part of the way we can step into that, you know, like I talked about the sign-up sheets outside, is next week we're going to do a healing service. So bring your sickest friends because we're praying for healing for them. Bring your friends with the most busted up emotional, physical issues because we want to pray for them. We can't control healing, but God can. And so we're going to ask for God to heal them. And what that's going to take is that's going to require men and women to stand on the side and ask God to heal people. So for you, some of that is God started a desire inside you to see people's lives be put back together, to have them move from the Lego piece that's on the screen to the one that's smooth and been restored and all that stuff. And one of the ways that we can step into that is in praying for people. So by signing up, you're saying, hey, I want information about the Sunday morning prayer meeting next Sunday at 9 a.m. You don't have to write all this out because you're going to get all of it in a text. But next Sunday at 9 a.m., we're going to pray in the portable over there. We're going to prepare ourselves to come in and pray for people. And if you're like, I'd love to do this, but I've never done that before, then we're going to put you as somebody who has done that before because we want to pray together for people to find healing, for Jesus to heal people next week. That desire is already in your heart. That's what's leading you to care about people. And so now we're going to bring the power of God into that to see him do things through us. 
And that's what happens in the story. Verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Hurting people need hospitable people who can soothe wounds and carry burdens. Like this guy didn't need a program. He didn't need one of Jesus's drive-by healings where he's kind of like bibbidi-bobbidi healed. He needed a person. If there is no person, his wounds are healed. Let's be honest, because this was in the story. He's still butt naked on the side of the road, right? He's still streaking in slow motion from Jerusalem to Jericho. He needs a person with clothes to come over and help him out, right? And so he gets a person. He gets a person. I think before we are hospitable in our homes, because that's where all of our heads are going. All right, now I have to have people over and clean the house. No, no, no. Before we even get there, we need to be hospitable in our hearts. One of the best things about you going to church here is you are surrounded weekly with people with whom the only thing you might have in common is that you're here at either 10 or 1130. And after that, the similarities stop. And that's where we can demonstrate the love of Jesus. Before we let anybody into our homes, my challenge to us is to let people into our hearts. Starting next Sunday, we're going to have snacks after each service. And the reason for those isn't because I love ice cream and we have a ton of it, both of which are true, uh, but because they give people an excuse to stick around and meet people. Right now, you're thinking, I'm not going to Alpha. I don't know anybody. Okay, the next five Sundays, we're giving people a reason to stick after service and meet people. We're building a connection point into our Sunday morning routine. So it's not just drive in, church as fast as possible, and then drive out as fast as possible. But it's a force feeding of connections where people can get to know each other. Before hospitality happens in our houses, it happens in our hearts, and it happens here. One of the things that I want to start here, and I've got no timetable for this, so it's not like we need to do this by Sunday or else, is we've got a shape group for guys that meets in the morning. I'd love to have a shape group for women. The thing is, is we need a leader. We need people who are going to push this thing forward. And honestly, I think we only have four boxes of Kleenexes on the property, so that'll get us through the first hour. After that, we're going to need more Kleenex. But we need people who are willing to open their schedule and open their hearts to other people. Like this is something, as a man, I can't carry. And so as a church, we're going to carry it. This is something I want to see happen. We need people who can soothe bandages, who can soothe wounds, who can soothe marriages, who can soothe, who can soothe parent-child relationships, who can soothe work situations, who can rebuild hearts. But it doesn't just stop with that. It doesn't just stop there. <laughs> Because hospitable people fund healing. Hospitable people fund healing. Verse 35, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. Two silver coins, right? That's no big deal. I ran the math on this. This is about $200. I think for all of us, if we knew God was watching, we would come up with a way to give away $200 by the time you leave the parking lot. Right? We, we, we could do that. We could figure that out. What I'm talking about here is the fact that the guy had generosity built into his life, which means he had practiced it. Because this type of thing doesn't just happen. When God gets our heart, everything changes. This is what the book is about that I told you. And for Christians, for everybody, not Christians, but for everybody, we give for two reasons. We give out of need and we give out of obligation. We see that it's the right thing to do, and we feel like it's the right thing that we should do. And so we guiltfully give toward things. For Christians, it's different. For all of us, we are loved by God. 
We don't give so that God loves us. We give as a result of God loving us. God loves us. We all sin, all of us, me included. And that's where God dives in in action. Because when God starts working in our lives, the Lego piece that we most resemble is this one. God works in our life at that point. And he did that by sending Jesus. He came into the world to save us from our sin. And he didn't do it when everything was clean. He did it when we were messy. To forgive us of our sin, to take our captivity and our bondage and our imprisonment and change that into freedom that is only available through Jesus. The response of that for us is that God gets control of everything. He gets control of our heart. He gets control of our future. He gets control of our job. He gets control of our relationships. And he gets control of our wallet. And so worship for the Christian goes through the wallet because tithing, because generosity is a way to respond to that. It's not just need and obligation. It's more than that. And so why do we give? First off, we give for worship. We were slaves. We were dead. We were captives. And now we're free in Jesus. And so worship is is part of our giving. We also give for material freedom, right? Like the guy gave away $200 easily. He's like, hey, this person who I don't know anything about, he could be scamming me. I'm going to pay his bill, 200 bucks just for him. There's a practice. There's, he's stretching himself. He's used to giving away money. We also give as a way of reminding us that this life is not the life that we're planning for. We give, we store up treasures in heaven because one day we know this life is going to end and then we're going to heaven. And so we give out of response for that. We give out of generosity. For us as Christians, Jesus tells us to give 10%. And part of the reason why I think he tells us to give 10% is because it's easy, right? You look at the money that comes in, you move the decimal point one way, and that's 10%. So like he's looking at his people, and he's like, hey, I think they need something easy. I'm going to call them to give, but I'll make it easy. So 10%. There you go. But we give to the church for a number of reasons. One reason that we give to the church is because it's permanent. Because before Jesus left the earth, he says, this is what I'm going to build. And not even the gates of hell will stand against that. This is going to last forever. It's going to last longer than flip phones and longer than Blockbuster. So we're giving to the church because it's going to stick around for 2,000 years. The names and addresses are totally going to change, but the mission is going to stay the same. We give to the church because it continues to change lives and it continues to take over the world. We also give to the church because it's beneficial. You giving to your local church benefits you because you're here at least an hour a week. You're funding ministry where you already are. And if you think, well, I can't trust the church, I'm not going to give to the church, why are you letting us teach you? Is it because I'm good looking? No, it's because you already want to be here. And so giving to your local church funds ministry that you're already benefiting from. And thirdly, giving to your local church is wise. We stand accountable to God for the way that we manage money. There's a bunch of things I can say about this, but running a church isn't based on just whims and luck. We pray for the money that comes in. We ask for God's direction on how to use it. And if you're sitting in one of the dark rows right now, it's because we've used that money elsewhere to start ministry in other places. Yes, we're fixing the lights. Tim and I have a plan. You'll know when it's fixed, because it'll be awesome. And by awesome, I mean you can see your Bible. Some of you have God's gift of, blessing, uh, God's gift of giving. 
You know, just we talked about how apostles are different, pastors are different. Like you just see things and they light up and you can do this. God has brought incredible amounts of money into your life because they come into your life and then they go toward funding other things. You are the angel investor for things. My encouragement for you is keep looking for areas where you can give. Keep looking for areas where you can use your spiritual gift of giving to start things where nothing else is being started because ministry runs on being funded. For the rest of us, this is our opportunity to step into this to follow God in financial obedience. And if you want an explanation of all that, grab a book as we respond. This is part of you responding. It's you saying, OK, God, everything that I have is yours. The 100% is yours. I'm trusting you with the 10%. And if you have questions about giving and how this works out economically, theologically, all that stuff, ask me. I know this is one of those issues where everybody is quick to get it over and you don't want to talk about it anymore. That's why it's been silent in here for the last five minutes. But money is also an area where God wants to speak to our hearts and wants to bring life into us around our finances. And so the story ends like this. Now, which of these, Jesus is asking the guy, which of these three was you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. That's how we're sent out here. Healed hearts, worship God, and bring others with them. Like this whole trajectory moving from compassion to healing. And all of that happens by the power of God. And it also happens by the people of God. And that is how we're sent out this week. Is we go out to, one, know that it's OK to be the Lego that came out of the, out of the disposal. Because that's what God sends his people to heal and to restore and to smooth and to soothe. That's where God sends his people. And then what he does is he turns it around and he uses them, us, as a way to tell other people about who Jesus is. That's our mission for the week, is that as we go out, we go out as ambassadors of God's love and God's goodness. Let's stand and pray.